Let's just prepare our, just our, our hearts. Let's just, again, just keep that focus in on God. The Bible says that, you know, Jesus said that his words are spirit and they are life. And that's what we want this morning. So God, I just pray that you would come and speak to us this morning, God. Lord, your words are spirit and they are life. And that's what we need this morning. We need that spirit, that creative spirit, that spirit that brings healing, that word that brings transformation. And we need that life. Just come. And God, we just put in us a, a hunger and an anticipation and expectation of you to come and speak with us this morning, God. Lord, may we not just come as passive listeners, but may we come with hearts that are eager and yearning to hear your voice and knowing that you are good and love to speak to us. Amen. Amen. Well, it's the first Sunday of Christmas. I was quite successful when Joey mentioned it. And uh, for some of you, you've been thinking about Christmas for maybe months. For some of you, maybe it's the time you begin to start to think about Christmas. Some of you might have kind of Advent kind of calendars that you begin just to open them and uh, help you just begin to think about Christmas, to celebrate Jesus coming. Now, when we talk about Jesus, what are some of the thoughts, what are some of the images that come into your mind? Okay, cross, okay. You can, I'll have a few responses. <laughs> this is an opportunity to... Um, Interact. What are some of the images we associate with Jesus when we think of Jesus? Love. So I can do that one. Shepherd. Sorry. Miracles. Yeah, we get all these different images. You didn't give me the image I was expecting. I was thinking, you know, this is Christmas. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I kind of just typed in into the internet, you know, some of the images of Jesus that come up and um, generally you kind of find them categorized in these three main ones. You get lots of images of him with a kind of shepherd, even we sang a song earlier on, he leaves a 99 to find the one. There's a lot around the kind of the theme of Christmas and then some around the image of Jesus dying. And the other thought that went through my mind was, because I knew I was going to ask you that question, I was wondering what answer would people would give to us if we went on the streets? You know, it'd be a great way, maybe we should do this as a way of kind of going out on the streets, just going up to people saying, hey, we're just doing a survey during Christmas. What are some of the images or words that you associate with Jesus? And again, it would be interesting to see what they say. I suspect um, a lot of the images that we just talked about here before, particularly the one about Christmas, uh, whatever religious belief they have, they're probably the same about um, just the cross, and maybe they would talk about healings, maybe they talk about miracles. And then I began to think, I was kind of in a questioning mood, wonder, you know, us as a vineyard movement, we're, we're Winchester Vineyard, we're part of a movement where, oh, if I might get it wrong, I know, 130 odd uh, vineyard churches around the UK, and I was wondering how they would answer that. You know, what's some of the images that we would associate with, with Jesus? And I think, you know, we sang a song today about, you know, beautiful. What a beautiful name we sang at the end. And I think that phrase would come up, this idea of beauty. And the guy who set up the vineyard movement called John Wimber, he wrote a famous song, which again, I always say I'm not going to sing. But, you know, isn't he, because you don't want to hear me sing. Isn't he beautiful? Beautiful, isn't he? 
You know, this idea of a kind of intimate, a close, a loving God. It's one of our, one of our values. One of the, the key values in the vineyard is worship. And then one of the values of that value is, is intimacy. It's something that we're, it's just part of who we are and what we want as, as people in the, in the vineyard. It's a high priority to us. This closeness, this God that is just, we can go and sit with him, a good, good father. And then I began to think about, and you'll see why particularly this disciple, I began to think about John. John in the Bible, he wrote one of the, the, the Gospels. And I was thinking how he would answer it. And I think, again, he would kind of focus on it. John um, is very different to the other Gospels. He has certain stories and phrases that you don't find uh, in kind of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so he talks about things like, you know, John the Baptist saying, Behold, this is the Lamb of God. I, kind of, I don't know about you, but I tend to think of lambs as kind of soft and cuddly. And, uh, and then you get the famous verse in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. And then there's a lot more other phrases to do with love. And then John, John later on wrote a couple of letters, which we also find in the Bible. We call them 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And in those, this packed with just verses and verses about the love of God and how loving he is and how much we can approach him. But God is more than just that. And John needed a deeper and a fuller revelation of who God is. And I would say that each one of us individually and as a church, we need to have a deeper and a fuller revelation of that. So I'm going to read from Revelation 1. And um, this is Revelation 1, starting at verse 9. And I'm just going to start at verse 12. This is John saying, I... I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a sort of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash round his chest. His head and hair were white like wool and as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I, this is John, saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades." This was John, who was so close to Jesus, we're told that he was probably the one that was kind of leaned on Jesus, who's called, you know, the, the beloved. And yet, for all the knowledge that John seemed to have had of Jesus, in this passage, he sees Jesus in a new way, and in a way he'd never seen it before. The one who'd known him so intimately was now just kind of falling as dead at his feet. I use this idea, uh, this phrase, and uh, kaleidoscope. I hope I can pronounce it right. I said to Joe earlier, what a word to choose. I have to use it a few times. But if you're familiar with it, you don't really see them much. But those of you a little bit older, this was a highlight of Christmas. <laughs> Before electronic gadgets. And you kind of look in it, and you just kind of turn it. And every time you turn it, it's the same things inside it. But you suddenly get a totally new perspective and view. And so my challenge to myself and my challenge to each one of us as we come to this Christmas 
is we need a kaleidoscope moment. We need to see Jesus in a fresh way. And I kind of want to maybe just look at an image that we don't normally see. This image that I just portrayed is interesting. When I was looking for things to do like with Christmas cards or Easter cards and kind of cards you might give away, you don't see um, any cards with this image on that John portrayed in Revelation. Probably it would be quite difficult to paint it, to depict it in, in picture form. It's a very different image to this kind of lovely baby and you might be thinking hey Paul this is Christmas surely we should be doing a more Christmassy kind of sermon I thought this when Nigel suggested I spoke in Revelation we're going to do more one of those next week but this Jesus that was born this is the same Jesus this baby this one who died is the same image we need to have that revelation we need to have that insight why? As soon as I began to think about this, and, and, and Nigel mentioned it to me, and I thought, okay, Revelation, let's start Revelation 1, and, and I thought about this, this kind of story, this talk forming in my mind. I was reminded of a quote by somebody, um, actually Nigel often jokes, I quote about him all the time. I haven't quoted him in a few years. It's a guy called A.W. Tozer, but here's a long quote by him. And um, he said this, A.W. Tozer is an author, he died in 1963, and he said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Worship is pure or base, as like inhonorable to God or not, as the worshipper entertains high or low concepts of God. I know it's quite deep, and you can take away and chew of it. For this reason, the gravest question before the church, and I include this as Winchester Vineyard, is always God himself. And the most pretentious fact, I had to look that up because I'm not that knowledgeable, that means important or significant about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. This is true not only of individual Christians, but the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. Just as the most significant message is what she says about him or leaves unsaid, for her silence is more often eloquent than her speech. And I know that's going to decoy. It's one of these things if I was doing this in a house group or a teaching environment, I'd just say, go away and just mull over. But really, what he's saying is what, how we perceive God is crucial. You see, our perception of God affects the way that we approach. And just to give you one example, those who know I do a lot of stuff on prayer. Often I say to people, who are you praying to? You see, the way that we perceive God affects what we pray and how we pray. Just to give you one example. You see, if we perceive God as weak and powerless, or we just see him like a, a baby, then it makes it hard in kind of situations where I am, where I'm kind of praying for nations. Those who know me, do a lot, I do a lot in the Muslim world. I need to see him as the one who's living. I need to see him as the one who has the keys of death and Hades because I'm dealing in situations where there is death and you can literally see the work of Hades. It's again in worship. And again, you know, approaching God in intimacy, but also in the sense of the awe of God. We need to expand our understanding of God. Another Phillips, another compatriot of mine called J.B. Phillips, he wrote a book called Your God is Too Small. How big is our God? How much do we just have one perspective of God? 
We need to have it individually and corporately, a bigger and a larger understanding of God. How often do we entertain thoughts about God that are not worthy of him? How often do we put him in a box? Somebody once said, God made us in our image and we return the favor. Let's break that box. We need to see God as he is. We need to have this kaleidoscope experience again and again. You see, there's no end, no end of times so you can turn the ending. You know, we could turn the ending. If you know kaleidoscope, you have to turn the ending and it changes it. You can shake it. Because there's no limit to what God can reveal of himself to us. Let's go on that journey. Let be a journey that we start our Christmas. But particularly the image I want to turn and look at is seeing God in his awe and his wonder and his majesty and his power, just like John did then. Why? There's various reasons. I think, firstly, as we see God like this, it changes us. When we get a deeper and fuller understanding of God, we get a deeper and fuller understanding of who we are and what we carry. You know, in this church, you've been around this church, we use this little phrase, which, is, which we call trust as rulers. Trust as rulers is somebody who knows who they are, what they carry, and what God's calling is upon their life. And that's something that we're seeking always as a church leadership to grow in and kind of help us as a church to grow in. I would argue that we can only fully do that as leaders and ourselves, as we get a deeper and greater understanding of who God is. If we want to know who we are and what authority we have and how that outworks itself in our calling, we've got to have these kaleidoscope moments when we see God in a new way. To give you a, an example, there's a famous kind of passage in Isaiah 6. This is in the Old Testament. And uh, it goes like this. In the year that... Oh, I can show you an image. I did find one of these. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and freshers shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, this is Isaiah. I am ruined, for I am a man with unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongues from with the altar. When he touched my mouth, and, with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. And so you get a story here, and I could have chosen a few other stories. There's another really bizarre one. If you're looking at Ezekiel 1 and 2, you get this story about wheels within wheels. You know, you kind of, if you haven't read it, you know, read it. It's kind of, and the same one that Joey mentioned in Daniel 7. You, you see God in a way that maybe you haven't seen before. And Isaiah goes, where am I? It's actually a very strong word. I was... Um, Kind of researching it a few days ago, you could actually change that word for literally a swear word. It was kind of like, it just couldn't, it was just, it so blew his mind that a holy man like him literally used a swear word to kind of describe this. It just blew his mind. It's like, wow. And he saw himself as he truly was. 
And in that place, God came because God always reaches out to us when we, in our place where we know where we truly are. And then he gives this calling. You see, you see the same in Ezekiel 2. Ezekiel sees his image of God. And then in chapter 2, when God says, who do I send? Ezekiel says, I go. You see, as we see God as he truly is, we begin to understand who we are. And we know what authority we have, and we begin to unleash that. You can only give away what you know you have. And as a church, and in this Christmas season, we want to see our communities impacted with God. And so we need more than ever to see God as he is, and we as we are. And then to live from that place. Secondly, we need this because we need to have a right balance. Well, my image didn't come up too well. It's a bit dark. That should be a, um, if you know C.S. Lewis, Aslan. If you were here last week, Nigel was talking about this kind of scale, and it got me thinking because I'd already written the talk last week, so I just adjusted it. And because uh, he talked about this idea of a kind of scale between churches that kind of just major on the spirit and those that major on the word. And he was saying that as a vineyard, there's a famous book in the vineyard called The Quest for the Radical Middle, and it's like we want to be people who have the radical middle. And as I kind of saw Nigel speaking about it, it made me realize in the talk I'm doing that so often, there seems to be like a spectrum on this very issue I'm talking about. So many years ago, particularly, and I'm talking like a few hundred years ago, I love church history, there was a great deal of emphasis on the awe and the fear and the majesty of God. You know, you kind of came to churches, you know, and you're, you know, be quiet and just the sense of God is here. You know, there's a solemnness about it. One of the most famous sermons that was ever written was called Man's in the Hand of an Angry God. And the greatest move ever to hit America came from that sermon by Jonathan Edwards. I mean, I'm sure if we advertise ahead of time, you know, um, I'm speaking next week, actually. Um, Katie's helping me speak next week. And it was like, Paul and Katie are speaking on um, people in the hands of an angry God. You know, you're going to go invite your friends. Hey, come and hear this talk. Uh, and so there was all that kind of idea. You see it in some of the songs written in those times. And then in more recent years, there's been an emphasis on, on the love of God. I'm not saying these are right and wrong. I'm going to come, come to that kind of the end. And, um, you know, that Jesus is kind of like everybody's best mate, that he's available, he's a healer, and this is all true and, and good. You know, that song, Good, Good Father. And we see this again in, sometimes in the songs that we, we sing. It's a lot easier. I was looking for songs to do with awe and wonder, uh, even in our kind of movement, the vineyard. And they're harder to find. Even the ones that, you know, I told the guys that we were going to be talking on this. So, you know, we chose the, the song Yahweh. I had to smile as I was singing it. The words are great because they're to do with awe and wonder. But in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, they, they wouldn't even say that word. There's no way you're going to yell out Yahweh. You know, we just sang, you know, Yahweh, what's that song? You know, um, we shout your name, Yahweh. They wouldn't do that because there was such a fear of even just saying the name of God. They abbreviated it so that nobody would say Yahweh by accident. And so I had to smile because we chose that song to do with awe, but, you know, where do we have that awe? Do we have that sense? If you know, I love C.S. Lewis, the way that um, C.S. Lewis, the author, kind of just conveys some of these truths. And um, I can't remember if this is the image that was meant and you can't see it. But if you can just see on the end, you can see what's called Lucy. And she's just kind of cuddling. 
Aslan, this lion that represents Jesus. That this idea that he is love, he is approachable, that you can cuddle him, you can be with him, and yet he's a lion. And lions eat things, <laughs> in case you didn't know that. And, uh, and I thought, well, once I quoted him once, why not quote him again? And, um, and as a church, we need to have these moments where we have the right image of God, the balance. And this is what A.W. Dozer put it. You could replace the greatness. You know, the greatness of God or all God rouses fear within us. But his goodness encourages us not to be afraid of him. To fear and not be afraid, that is a paradox of faith. We want to have the quest of the radical middle when it comes to our perception of God as a church. That we do have that aspect where he is loving, but there's also that aspect where there's a deepened sense of awe and fear of God. I'm not talking about a servile fear for petty and unpredictable deity, because we're told in the Bible that perfect love casts out fear. I'm talking about a reverential fear that is deserved by a holy and all-powerful God. The kind of fear that causes us to walk carefully in his sight. How desperately we need that encounter and that realisation in our lives where we fall before his glorious presence, where you're just lost for words and you just go, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. When we leave a meeting like that, we are deeply and generally forever changed. That's what we need. When we see God as he truly is, that he knows all, that he is a righteous judge, then it changes us. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. We're told in Philippians 2 verse 12 to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. I don't have time to unpack each one of these verses, but there's an aspect where if we want to grow and develop as a church, we need the baby we need the crucified Lord. We need the glorious Lord, risen and ascended and seated on the throne that we just read in Revelation. And this links into my third point. Having this understanding and this balance helps us to lead our communities into life. See, walking in the fear of the Lord was considered a good and healthy thing in the New Testament. There's an interesting verse I came across, which again, it was interesting. I chose this verse before because I tend to not leave talks at the last minute before Nigel did his talk last week. And uh, it goes like this. This is in Acts 9.31. It says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. If you were here last week, you'll know that Nigel talked about the Holy Spirit. It talked about being encouraged by the Holy Spirit. We created time and space and said, come Holy Spirit. But we also need the and. We have to have the living in the fear of the Lord. How am I living in the fear of the Lord? How are you living in the fear of the Lord? How am I growing in living in the fear of the Lord? Because when we do this, as it says there, it increased in numbers. Again, I don't know how much you like church history. I, I, I mentioned before, I like church history. I like looking at what I call revivals. This is when God turns up in such power. You don't really need a, a speaker. People just begin to just follow Jesus wherever they are. 
and uh, people debate and use this word in different ways. I'd be one of those that takes in a very pure sense that would say that's not happened in the UK since the Hebrides revival. There's lots of things that get called revivals where lots of people come to Jesus through a particular speaker. But when a revival comes, you hear about people who just begin to just to fall on their knees in fields in random places to fill in the gaps because Hebrides has got a lot of fields. Imagine just Winchester town centre, your workplace. I live kind of down in Eastleigh, where people just I go down to the Swan Centre in Eastleigh, and people just begin to cry, fall on their feet without anybody speaking, saying, "I want to know about Jesus." We begin to hear stories where we get the phones ringing at church tomorrow because people at different schools are saying, we need help because the children in our schools, they no longer want to go to lessons because they're crying out, we need God. That's happened before in schools, 1859 in Coleraine. And in all those situations, you know what caused it? It was a fear and an awe of God. That's the other reason why we need it. We need it for ourselves. We need it for our church. We need it for our communities. So that we move into that. So how do we step forward into that? And that was quite difficult. Because I was thinking, okay, I can see it. And we need that kaleidoscope moment. I was also particularly aware that Joe's going to be standing up in a few minutes helping with hosting. And I'm thinking, where do you take this? How do we move forward in this? And so I just want to give uh, just a few pointers as we come in to finish. Ask God to give you a revelation. You know, Ephesians 1 talks about, you know, the Spirit of God will lead us into wisdom and understanding. We need a deeper understanding of God in, in his full nature and his full character. And uh, we need you just to cry out for it. It's not just a kind of, God, if you're in a good mood, it's like we've got to have that. Like, God, show me. Show me Jesus. Show me Jesus. Show me in your full nature and wonder, God. Show that to me. Then we've got to take time, what did I put there, yeah, to contemplate God. Contemplation means the action of looking thoroughly at at something for a long period of time. I had to look that up for the dictionary. Just to look thoughtfully for something for a long period of time. As a reminder of this verse, I was thinking about that in 2 Corinthians 3. We're all with unveiled faces, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into this same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. The principle is this. The true gospel changes a person's character as we steadily change to stare at the glory of God. You see, we are changed into what we behold. As we take time to treasure that and to look at God, we begin to change into his image. Some say that seeing is believing. This text says that seeing is becoming. You become what you behold. That's why it's important for me as a, when I'm preaching and as a kind of leadership we're always trying to lift up Jesus again and again because we know that individual as a church will become what we behold. We need to contemplate him. And again, this is not a passive thing because so when you think about contemplation, you might be thinking, mm, you know, I feel like I'm going, mm, just stillness, whatever. Yes, there might be a calmness 
on the inside. But I tell you what, on the inside, there's an indignant hunger for God. The phrase I was praying about this morning was, I felt like God said, you know, he doesn't want Oliver Twist moments. When it's like, excuse me, please, can I have some more? No, that's not what we need. It's kind of like, yeah, I should cover the mic, whatever. It's like, God, we should, we desperately really need you, God. It's more than just like, you know, like the Oliver theme, just like, please, if you're in a good mood, can I have some more? It's a kind of desperation and indignant hunger. And this is my prayer for me and us as a church as we come into Christmas. That we will not let go of God until he shows us who he truly is. Until he expands our understanding, whatever it is, for different ones of you, it means different things, and it doesn't care how long you've been following Jesus. There's way more of God to see than you have seen so far. And so my prayer is this Christmas that God, God, I'm just going to pray, is that all right? God, just enlarge our eyes to see you, God. Lord, I know you're rendered heaven. You are there. Help us to see you, Lord. God, help us to see you in your awe and your wonder and your majesty. Lord, we, we say you were born the Savior of the world. Help us to see you, Lord, as you truly are, Lord, an almighty Savior, the living one, the risen one. Ascend it over all, God. Just open our eyes. And we've got to do that. As I kind of looked and read different people, a number of different people, I don't have to quote each other, often said, you know, if you want to grow in this, they say, lock yourself in a room and cry out to God until he comes. He says, either you go mad or you'll be changed. How much? And that's what it means here. It's like, you know, how much do you want it? I mean, this is a challenge myself. You know, I had a little time this morning. I was just like, God, how hungry am I? Do I have that indignant hunger where I won't stop? Or will I just, you know, think, okay, I've done 10 minutes. I normally just do this. Am I going to really go for it? And lastly, just to end... Because God is good. Just use what's there. I mean, a good few places of contemplation. Uh, you know, read those passages, Revelation 1. Just put them before you and go, God, show me this. You showed it to John. You have no favorite. Show it to me. Look at Daniel. Look at Ezekiel. Look at Isaiah. And it will mess with your mind. I've only ever got a, a, a little glimpse. I remember when I was 17. It was a Sunday night. I remember because I did a driving lesson the next morning. I always had my driving lessons on Monday. I had a dream. I still de- describe it. I don't know. It's like a nightmare. It's the worst dream I've ever had. Because I got a little glimpse of God in his glory. You often hear these stories. It's like really amazing. And different people have different images. But I woke up in a cold sweat. It was like an Isaiah 6 moment for me. And it's forever stuck in my mind. I still will regret thinking, why did I just say, wake myself up from that? Because it scared the living daylights out of me. But I want that more, and I want that to become a reality. I want the love and the intimacy, but we need it. The reason I teach it is because generally we have the other balance. You know, we do talks on the Father, heart of God. We have conferences. When was the last time we did a conference on the fear of the Lord? I suspect as leadership we wouldn't do it. I'm pointing the finger at myself because we think nobody would turn up. We need to be a balanced church. This Christmas, we need to see God more truly. Ask him, take time, read his books. I think I made a recommendation, The Knowledge of the Holy, uh, or the Mr. Last Bit, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Uh, and these are just books that go through some of the nature and some of the characteristics of God. And we need to get it.
if I haven't stated it enough, my wife often, my wife often Katie says I overstate stuff, maybe because I just feel the urgency of it, is um, because of my line of work, I have to write, every time I go overseas, places like Iraq, Somalia, I have to write my will, make sure my will is up to date, my funeral is up to date, just part of my work. And um, my will often changes because things change. But in my will, I, I just leave my children two books. Every one of my children gets two books. It's always consistent, my will. And they're both by OW2, so by. And uh, one of them is called um, The Pursuit of God, and one of them is called The Knowledge of the Holy. And the reason I put it there is because I, I want them to kind of get somebody who's further ahead than me that pursued God. I know if they pursue God, then God will find them, and he will sort the rest out when I'm not there. Secondly, I want them to know the knowledge of the Holy because of the very reasons I started at the beginning. I know that their understanding, their outworking of their Christian life will go no higher than their understanding of God. And so I desperately want my children to know God in a way beyond I have experienced God. We owe it to ourselves, we owe it to our communities, we owe it to our nation to want to know more God. I'm going to just pray. I'm going to hand over to Joey because I have no idea what to do next. <laughs> I didn't really talk about this in a week. <sighs> God, just show yourself. It's, it's hard to describe you because I can't. You're indescribable. You're approachable, yet you live in an inapproachable light. You're a mystery, and yet you invite us to know you. And God, I pray for myself, and I pray for us as a church. Show us, show us yourself. Lord, expand my vision, expand my heart, and Spirit of God, bring wisdom, understanding. That's what you said you'd do. This Christmas, may we see a deeper image of you. Yeah, may we see you as a baby. You did come as a baby. God became man, Emmanuel. And yet, Lord, you are the one seated on the throne. You are the one that all these other godly men could not describe because you could not be described. And therefore, metaphor after metaphor had to be used to describe you. Show us yourself today, we pray.